Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Cindy and Chrissy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with changing the ideals and expectations of motherhood. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about. All while hanging with your mom friends. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hi. Hello there. Yay. This is interesting. We don't have any guests today. I know. It's a special episode. It is our final episode of this season, and we're doing things a little differently today. Yes, we are talking to each other. Yeah. For the first time, well, we talk to each other a lot during our meetings, but <laughs> <laughs> this one's actually recorded. <laughs> yeah. And this actually has been requested by a few people now that, you know, just the desire to see a little bit more of Cindy and I in the podcast. And so here we are for our final episode where we're going to dive in and talk to each other and get to know each other a little bit better. Well, we know each other really well, but <laughs> let you get to know us a little bit better. And we're also going to just dive into what we learned this year. I think it'll be a really great episode. And we're really glad that everybody came back to join us for another episode of Mama Needs a Moment. All right, let's get started with our first questions. We decided that we're going to do this very similar to the way that we set it up when we talked to our experts. And Chrissy and I are going to do the get to know you questions between each other. So, yes, but we're, we're not going to ask every question of each other. We're just going to kind of alternate them. So we'll let you know who's speaking. So the first question goes to Cindy, Cindy, fill in the blank motherhood is. I had this whole list and I have to decide which one I wanted. I want to put in there, but motherhood is an advertising brochure for therapists. <laughs> the reason I say that, well, it is also an atlas that tells you exactly where you need personal growth. So let's think about this for a second. The reason that I'm saying this, you have control issues. Motherhood will remind you. You have fears in life. Motherhood will remind you. You have things that you are struggling with from your childhood. Motherhood will remind you. So it's extremely convoluted. Motherhood is convoluted. It's complicated. It's intricately involved. It's untamed. Yes, Glennon, you know that I like you, Glennon Doyle, very much. <laughs> so I'm giving her a high five right now. It's untamed. And if you think about all of the problems that we have in motherhood, it's because we are trying to tame it. Do you agree? I mean, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, motherhood will remind you, you know, <laughs> the areas you need to work on and, you know, just how little control you actually have over everything. So yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. I have another question. Be honest. Did you use the thesaurus when you were, how do you know? <laughs> Because I know you. <laughs> the thesaurus is like my best friend. I was like, I, like, I, I think she went through the thesaurus to find the word Atlas. <laughs> no, actually, it wasn't no. for Atlas. I did the thesaurus for complicated. 
because we've had other guests mm. come on that is that yeah. complicated. And I'm like, I don't want to say complicated. So I was like yeah. convoluted, but then let's go even further and define convoluted. So I put some of that in there, but actually Atlas is because at the time that this is being recorded, Brene Brown has just come out with her. I just got it in the mail. Did you? I'm <laughs> yeah, so, so, I excited. want to read it so badly. It's called Atlas of the Heart. And so here we are, we're doing a push for, for Brene, but, and Glennon. Our They're two like, faves. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love them. And they are on Glennon's podcast together. And I was just Ooh. listening to that. So oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. The book, the book arrived in the mail and I had pre-ordered it so long ago that I forgot it was coming. It was like Christmas morning getting to open it up. Oh my gosh. So, I'm so excited to dive into it, but I can't wait. I can't wait. And Glennon just came out with journal prompts for untamed. And I'm so excited to get that as well. So if only I could meet them, I would love to, I would love to moving on. What's the cleanest room in your house? I have to admit that I'm so glad I didn't get this one. Cleanest room in your house? At the moment, none of them. <laughs> I, I guess the cleanest in the moment would be my basement, although it's still not very clean. We had cleaned it up because we had recently had Friendsgiving brunch and I knew that some people might come in to use the bathroom. So it had been cleaned. That being said, there's been stuff that's been moved inside. Thanksgiving stuff has been taken down. Christmas boxes are down there. So it's a mess, uh, but it is the cleanest room in my house because every other room is pretty messy right now. So <laughs> yeah, I don't have any clean rooms, but that's yeah. another story. That's another story. Life. Well, there's life. also a difference clean versus picked up. So things are clean. It's just all, I, all I care about is picked up. I don't even care about clean anymore. <laughs> I just want <laughs> like my space clear. And, and it's funny, that's actually my relationship with Noah. He's the one that cares more about things being clean, like dust and air quality. And like, he's very big on that kind of, I just need the space picked up and I'll push everything into a pile and tuck it away. And the piles drive him crazy, but I'm just happy that the surface is clear and everything's out of the way. So that's sort of where we differ, but he makes sure that the house is clean. The toilets are scrubbed. Like that's, I just kind of obliviously will just push everything off the counters. So the space is clear. Well, then <laughs> so you're a good think. team. If yes. you're the pickup person yes. and he's the cleaning person, then that's a good team. Which one are you in your house? I am the cleaner pretty the much cleaner. because yeah. my mentality is I'm not, my kids are, are older. So it's like, they need to start picking up after themselves. And then my husband is the same thing. I'm not going to go around and pick up after him, right? They, they can go and they can pick up after themselves. Now here's the problem. They don't. <laughs> so I end up getting really flustered and everything. And so I'll just kind of clean around things. And that's a topic for another time. We could go on and on and on <laughs> about this one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, what is bringing your life sanity right now, Cindy? That's actually kind of a hard one because I'm struggling a little bit in this area to be perfectly transparent. I do notice a trend when I get outside and I get into nature that definitely brings my life sanity. And I also enjoy reading. So I'll read, I'm not a super fast reader. And I've also noticed that it depends on what I'm reading as well. And I don't know if this will be my question or not towards the end, but if I'm reading something that's fiction 
and is more entertaining, then I'm faster. But if it's something more like self-help or a non-fiction type of a book, then I go much slower with it. Sure. So I would say yeah. that those, those two things bring my life sanity and sleeping. <laughs> sleeping is... Oh. I hear yeah, that. Yeah, it definitely brings my life sanity because I feel whenever I go to sleep and I wake up, things have a different perspective. It makes such a big difference when you have a good night's sleep. There was one night where I didn't get much sleep at all and I literally had a hungover feeling all day. Like it, I felt like I had been drinking mm-hmm. the whole night before and I hadn't had an ounce of alcohol. It was just that, that feeling. It, it, it does, it sticks with you all day too. And then it just, you want to eat everything to keep yourself awake. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. And the other thing, so this is kind of going off topic, but still on topic. I'll, I'll bring you back. Trust me. I, over the years have become more introverted. I used to be very extroverted me and too. I think, yeah, I think it's when you start accepting yourself for who you are and realizing that you don't have to have FOMO, (laughs) fear of missing out as much. When you're younger, you want to be involved in everything and you want to have people like you and, and whatnot. I still, of course, want people to like me, but it's more, it's just different when you get older. And so I've slid on the scale and I would consider myself more of an ambivert now. However, I do really like the times when we're together with our her circle women that is also will bring me sanity at times where I might just be having kind of a bum of a day and then we'll have some sort of an event where we see some of the ladies and that will perk my spirits as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing group. It is. Yeah. And then you just come home and I spend some time by myself and then that will help me too. So what do you look for in a mom friend? You know, I think it's a fairly common answer, but I think that there's so much validity to it. I look for a person that I can be myself with and that is authentic. Someone that is, you know, being true to themselves when they're with me. I, I want to be friend with someone that you know, my house doesn't have to be picked up that I can come and I can cry and, you know, just be real about what's going on in my life and my day. But I also really want someone that I can laugh and be goofy with. You know, I very much am a goofy person, but it does not come out typically until I get to know someone quite a bit better. And I love the people that, I mean, I am my goofiest self with Noah. Like, through and through. Like he's, he's a side of me that I don't think anyone else really does. And I, I think that that's very special. I want a friend that I can laugh with. I think laughter is so healing. I think there's so much power in laughing. And again, I guess that goes with the goofy side, but to have a true friend that, you know, you can just cut loose with and, have fun and laugh at life with uh, and cry through life with too, because that's a necessary part of it too. Again, I think that's an answer that everybody gives in some capacity along those lines, but you know, I, I think it's true. We all just want someone that accepts us for who we are and, you know, 
I also have realized that building a true friendship with someone just really takes time. It's not something that can happen overnight as much as you would love it to. It, it's repeated exposure, it's repeated experiences together, and that helps build a bond. That helps build that shared history where you can feel comfortable having them over to a messy house and you can feel comfortable being goofy and you know letting your true self out. Very yeah. true. I loved all that you said. And I agree 100%. I also love something one of our experts had said was compassion. Thought that was just a beautiful answer as well as someone that helps to give you compassion or show you compassion. Because I think we struggle with giving ourselves compassion so much that having someone demonstrate it to you is just really important. So Great answer. I loved that. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Best vacation you've ever taken. I took a great vacation with my husband, but I have to say that the best, it was actually a trip that I ever took was in my early twenties. I think it was 23. I took an around the world trip. It was three months. I raised money for myself and I bought an around the world plane ticket. And I stayed in youth hostels. I was with one other girl. She was my travel companion and she was about 10 years older than I was. And we stopped in so many different countries. It was just the best experience of my life. We started in England and then we went to Thailand and we traveled around there for a couple of weeks. And then we went over to Bali. And then from there, we were in Australia on both the East and West coast. And then we went to New Zealand and we did both the North and the South Island. And I was in Fiji and then flew the rest of the way back to England to make it a full around the world trip. And so the whole trip lasted about three months and it was just such an amazing learning experience to be in those cultures. And I learned a lot about myself. It was just fantastic. Yeah, travel is such an amazing way to learn about yourself and the people you travel with. It's it's such a such an important mm-hmm. piece of of life. Yeah, I didn't even really know the person I went traveling with very much. But and I remember at the time when I was going on this trip, my parents it was more my dad, he was like And I know that all of this was coming out of love and concern because thinking about my kids doing something like that now would be, I would say go, but at the same time, I would feel major nerves come up in fear being tinged, knowing that I had no control, not knowing where they were. It would just be very difficult. But my dad's like, oh, what are you doing that for? That'll never get you a job. And to be perfectly honest, it sure has (laughs) because- employers have looked at that and they've said independence and worldliness and all sorts of stuff. So yeah, it's all about knowing how to market those experiences too, but those, those real world experiences make such a difference. And I agree with you when I went on our trip, my uncle actually sent me articles multiple articles about a girl who had been abducted on the trip that I was going on the exact trip. I mean, like, it was like in your face, like, this isn't safe. Don't do this, Chrissy. (laughs) Bring fear into you. 
Yes. Oh gosh. Sh- but as a parent, you do see a totally different perspective on it for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I remember at that time I was like, oh, dad, oh, you know, but what's one thing you'd like to learn? Oh, everything. I am a person that loves to just constantly be learning, but I'm going to take that question in a slightly different direction. I think what I would most like to learn is how to let go. I would Mm. love to learn how to let go of the need to control. I would love to learn to let go of the things that don't go the way that I hope they will or expect them to. I would learn, I guess, to let go of expectations. So much of my life, I feel, is just kind of wrapped up in these certain ideas of how things should be. And I know that if I was better at letting things go, accepting what is, which was, you know, I've actually thought about getting that tattooed on me in some way. It was my epiphany that I had at one point in my life. And that phrase has always stuck with me just to accept what is. And I feel like I had it ingrained in me at one point and it was actually during travel. And when I came back home, the real world just slowly seeped back in. And it's hard to keep those lessons that we learn. It's hard to keep them in practice in daily life sometimes. So so I'd love to bring that back. Yes. Yes. It's amazing the things that you think about when you're traveling and that are hard to implement once you stay back and you get back into your real life. I remember when I was traveling on this, this trip that I had just talked about, I had a lot of journals and I was filling out these journals and in a lot throughout the entire time, I'm saying, I'm not going to do what society expects me to do. I don't want to do exactly what society expects. It just constantly repeated. And then you get back into real life and you realize that you also have to survive. And so to survive, sometimes you have to get involved in what society expects. And it sounds very similar to what you had experienced that you wanted to learn to let go, but then you got back into your real life and it was hard to continue implementing it. You know, the other thing that I I had two epiphanies on that trip, it was the Camino de Santiago in Northern Spain. So we walked 500 miles across Spain. And a lot of those days we were walking, we were completely by ourselves. I went with two girlfriends and on the one day when I had these two thoughts, I had been thinking a lot about the people in my life and how I couldn't control what they, you know, it it was very much outside of myself, these other people. But the second thought that I had was, relationships are the most important thing. And I believe that with every fiber of my being, that it's the relationships we have with other people that, you know, when we're on our deathbed, that's, what's going to matter. It's going to matter who we made connections with throughout our lives, throughout our days. But at the same time, as much as I know that that has still sort of faded in a way too, you know, Mm -hmm. I I get so wrapped up in the day-to-day, the meetings and the things I have to get done and making sure my child is fed and has all her stuff ready for, for school for the day, not stopping to remember how important it is sometimes to just connect with the person, the person I'm having a meeting with my daughter, as she's getting ready to go to school for that day, how important it is to look in her eyes for just the briefest moment and connect with her. Those are the things that I've learned through traveling that 
I don't have anymore. I know it's in there somewhere, but it's just, it fades away through day-to-day -day life. And I would love to relearn it. I guess I need a trip again, like a real trip, not a, yeah. not a trip to the mountains or the beach, but like a, a trip that challenges you in, in a different way. Yeah. There are times that I'll stop and I'll say to myself, I don't feel like I'm living. I feel like I'm being lived. Mm. So when I, when I think that it's about, when you live, when you're living your life, you're doing things that you want to do. And like you had said, taking that time to just stop and look in your child's eyes and not be worried about things that might be falling through the cracks or whatever. But when you're being lived, it's that you're just going through the motions of everything that's being demanded of you. Yep. So just stopping and thinking about that sometimes can be a little bit of a, an eye opener for me. Yeah. I agree. I, you almost have to work it into the schedule. Like every Friday morning, I'm going to sit in a, yeah. I'm going to live today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. What do you like to do on a Friday night? Oh my gosh. It's so cliche. It's like what everybody else says on a Friday night. I, we have a tradition in our house. We order pizza and I'm spoiled because I like this particular kind of pizza. It's like the best. And if I don't have this pizza, then no other pizza compares. <laughs> so we order this pizza. Okay, don't leave me hanging. What pizza is I it? I know, but if I tell you, then others might be like, okay, I'll have to tell you. In our local area, we have Lily's Pizza. And we, or, we or order from, from their one in five points. And mm. it's the crust is just so delicious and it's really good. And we used to love, my husband and I, when we were first together, used to go to a place called Moonlight Pizza and they had delicious pizza Oh, well. I love Moonlight. They're so sad when they went away. Yeah, they're not here yeah. anymore. But those are, yeah. are like our two favorites and our kids love it too. And so we'll order pizza and I just like to chill and relax. I mean, it's the weeks sometimes, like we just said, sometimes we're lived throughout the week where we weren't living throughout the week. And it's our time to just take a breath and regather ourselves, regroup. So sometimes we'll do a family movie. Sometimes Mark and I will sit down and watch a show if we've been watching anything that's fun, kind of on hiatus of everything right now. But yeah, it's pretty laid back, right? Sometimes I'll even go to bed early and just read. Well, yeah, really I love depends. those days. Yeah. I love doing that. It really depends. What are you reading or watching right now? Oh, I love this question. I just uh, building so up my. I am actually re. Well, I've read it before, but it is December's book club book for her circle. Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. So I've read it before. This time I'm just listening to the audio to refresh my memory. It's such a good story. It's her first book. It was a New York Times bestseller. It dives into so many important issues and, and it's still such a fun read. You know, it, it's this woman, she's very, very successful and she hires a young black woman to be the babysitter and the babysitter takes the kid to the grocery store one day. It's a high-end grocery store and the security guard accuses the babysitter of kidnapping the, the little white child. And it, the whole thing is caught on video. 
and the video goes viral. And so it's this whole thing about racial relationships and, you know, kind of exploring relationships, really. It's, I mean, what I was just talking about, it's a lot of, and then there, there's a whole twist in it where there's this other character in the book who comes into the story and there's like a weird connection between the two of them that kind of throws you for a loop. And it, it's really good. I'm really excited to be rereading it. Actually, I don't remember the ending very well either. So is this a, is this fiction or nonfiction? This is, it's a novel. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah. I gotcha. I wasn't sure if this actually had happened in her life. No, no, or... it, it's, it's fiction. It's a novel. It's her first one, the author's first book. And it, it might've been on uh, Reese's book club. I like it, it has some really great, you know, reviews. And I remember the first time I read it, I really enjoyed it. So that's I'm excited great. to talk about it with everyone. Yeah. I love, I love our book club books. For that. Ironically, you said Reese's book club, because I'm reading a Reese's book club right now too. I just started it. The Alice Network by Kate Quinn. So mm. I've, I've just started that one after finishing. Remember in the beginning of the, of this episode, I was talking about the difference between fiction and nonfiction and how fast I read while well, I was just reading two nonfiction books. One was by Viktor Frankl, and it's the man's meaning of life or uh, man's search for meaning. And uh, the other was from Dr. Edith Edgar. Oh, I love her books. She's great. So yeah. Awesome. How do you picture your empty nest days? I know they'll be traveling in there. Mark and I both love to travel. So we'll be going to all these different places. It, it fuels me in a way that I can't really explain just the different cultures and tasting the different foods. So I know that there'll be some travel in there. And of course, I also hope that our kids will be close by or at least in a distance where we can see them more than once a year. <laughs> so what about you? Do you think about your empty nest days? Oh, all the time. Yeah. It, it's the same for Noah and I. Travel is very important. It's a big part of how we connected you know, when we graduated college, we went backpacking for six months and we did the hostel thing too. And we talk about doing that a lot, like being the older tired couple that we saw when we were young that were staying in hostels. And then there's another part of us. It's like, Oh, if we have money, do we really want to stay in hostels again? <laughs> but it, you do experience everything in a different way when you kind of travel in that way. And we've also always talked about the idea of an RV and just traveling through mm, the U S yes. That's very high on our list for at least a year or two. We'd like to do that. You know, we might do that when Kira's in college. We can just kind of pop in wherever she decides to go to school, just pop in periodically in our RV. That's a great plan. I'll put that on my plan too. Yeah, we've talked about RVs and whatnot. It's just yeah. how to make it all happen, right? That's what the rest wait, of these years for are the day. for. Wait, I know for the these, day. these years until the empty nest is when you plan the empty nest, right? Well, you know, a lot of research shows that it's actually the planning phase of trips that brings the most joy to us. You know, a lot of times the trip itself can be stressful and, you know, is filled with moments that aren't necessarily fun, which if you've traveled extensively, you know that to be true. Or if you travel with kids, especially, you know that to be true as well. But there's something about the planning phase, that anticipation, as you let that anticipation build. It. And I think that's why 
like when I'm on a trip, I often plan my next trip because I need something to anticipate. I need something to look forward to. It's what helps me get through. Oh my uh, gosh. I'm not, very... I'm not a planner like that. That's so interesting <laughs> that you say that. That's, that's really interesting because I don't plan my next trip when I'm on my trip. And I, Mark and I are both, we struggle with the planning process. We're more of like crammers. <laughs> I guess is more what you could call us the crammers. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other by any means, because definitely the cramming causes stress. So. No. And I think there's room for, but I think there's a lot of room for, you know, going on a trip and not having the itinerary planned. I very rarely plan an itinerary, but I need to know that there's actually, that's not true. I do plan an itinerary like a day or two before we leave, but I need to like anticipate. I know a trip's coming in two months or three months. Like I have oh, that's that, good. Yes. that thing to look forward to. Absolutely. It just, it helps my mental health so much. For sure. This episode is sponsored by The Flourish Market, where every product has a bigger purpose, just like you. The Flourish Market currently partners with over 200 brands that work all over the world, including right here at home in the United States, to drive positive social change. I love walking around their beautiful store in downtown Raleigh. They're so welcoming and have incredible stylists that are always happy to help you find the perfect outfit or piece to complete your wardrobe. They also let you host in-store parties with a group of your girlfriends, which is so much fun. I can always find a ton of great gifts, both in-store and on their online shop. <clears throat> and yes, some of those gifts are even for other people. Wink, wink. We invite you to use your purchasing power for good this holiday season, supporting causes and change makers, creating sustainable impact. Go check out the gorgeous clothing and adorable gifts offered at the Flourish Market and online at theflourishmarket.com. And rest easy knowing that every purchase is serving a greater purpose. Well, we're going to get into the deep stuff. Well, we yeah, talk. yeah. I mean, I think there is a lot of deep stuff. So we have had four initiatives that we fully entrenched ourselves in this year. And through it all, I will speak for myself, but I know Cindy, you have too. We've learned a lot through this process um, as been, we've tried to bring yeah. awareness to these different topics and, you know, just kind of learn about it ourselves. So the first initiative that we started the year with was equal access to maternal care because it became more and more apparent that this is a really important issue and it was not getting enough attention. Although I do think it is starting to get more and more attention, thankfully, but we're still not where we need to be. And I'll just jump in. I think for me, the biggest thing that I kind of have taken away from, I will say that this initiative is the one I'm probably still the most uncomfortable talking about. The other ones I feel, you know, I, I have a good handle of, and this one is something that still requires learning. I think it will still require learning every single day because I am a white woman and, you know, this is not my lived experience. So I can learn and learn and learn until I'm blue in the face, but it still won't be my learned experience. And I have to acknowledge that, but mm -hmm. it is so important that I continue that learning process. And it's so important that I 
offer my child that, that learning as well. But I think my biggest, and you know, I feel silly saying this, like I should have known this, I should have seen this before, but there's so much about how our education system is structured that I didn't. So I, I think for me, my biggest takeaway, my biggest learn is how multifaceted this situation is. The fact that, you know, this is deep and systemic. It, it's the disparities that are in our healthcare system. It's not just about being able to go and see a doctor. You know, it also comes down to environmental issues, social justice, housing security. They are all interconnected and interwoven and you can't have one without the other. You can't fix one without fixing the others. And I think for me, that was a big eye-opening aha moment to just really see that interwoven nature. Absolutely. And if we even just look at the COVID pandemic, that highlights a lot of things that we're experiencing right now or that, that we discussed in this particular roundtable with our experts on this topic. And we should also say that our initiatives were chosen because these are areas that we know impact moms. And we feel very strongly in bringing education to these areas, as well as when we get further along and we talk about some other initiatives, they may have touched us personally. So as Chrissy said, we continue to be dedicated to learning about specifically this topic, improving equitable outcomes in maternal care because we are two white privileged women. Yeah, and I think the learning piece is so important. That's something we've talked about regularly. You know, we had our seven month long talking about race series, which was such a fantastic experience to sit down twice a month watch uh, and read different, you know, clips and, and pieces of information and to dive into it and to discuss it with other people who are trying to learn in this space too. That kind of learning is so important. And that's something we've talked about with our experts often too, is the need for everybody to learn. Doctors need to relearn and, and be aware of their own biases. And, you know, we, we all have a responsibility to step outside of our comfort zone and open ourselves up to what we may not know. And let's face it, we all don't know a lot of things, especially in this area. It's like we said, you're a privileged white woman like we are. Uh, one of the, the points in our roundtable that Dr. DeRowan made that I absolutely loved was about Serena Williams and Beyonce. And she had said that, you know, these are two very well-known black women and they had to really advocate for themselves and they still didn't get the care that they needed when they were delivering their, their child. And she made the point that in both of those cases, again, well-known women, what about all the other people that don't have the voice and the power behind the voice that, you know, these two women have and the need to learn about what help is available to you and how to advocate for yourself across the board for, for all women is so, so crucial. And, and especially for underserved communities. Absolutely. I agree with that so much. When we had opened up this particular discussion I think we had used 
a clip from the Amnesty International report, and it said most women in the US are not dying during childbirth because of the complexity of their health conditions, but because of the barriers they face in accessing high quality maternal care, particularly those who were poor or faced racial discrimination. And anytime I read that or I think about that, I just, it's just so incredibly unfortunate <laughs> that these things are happening. So I do really appreciate the accessibility for us to be able to learn more about it. And yeah. And, this- and to take action where we can, um, you know, I mean, this was our virtual 5k that we held and we were able to raise money for every mother counts, which was such a fantastic part of the initiative, that fundraising effort. And we had so many of our moms involved in the effort, which was fantastic. So it is good to continue that work. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. So much more to to do in this area. Yeah. And speaking of, and the more work to do is the area, the second initiative, which is perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So we worked hard to bring awareness to the issue of, you know, anxiety and mood disorders in that perinatal period. And also more than anything, just to take away some of the stigma and and say, you know what? Hey, this happens. It happens frequently. You're not alone. It's okay. Help is available. And we need to take that stigma away from these mental health issues. Uh, This is something I am so, so passionate about as an individual that suffered from depression in high school that has a pretty severe family history of depression and as someone who had postpartum anxiety and panic attacks uh, throughout my postpartum period, you know, it still affects my life. It still affects my motherhood or, you know, my ability to mother sometimes. So I, I think it's such an important thing to raise awareness of and to just let women know, you know, help is available and you are not alone. Mm, yeah. It's really wonderful that not that you had to go through it, but that you can use your struggles to help other moms understand the need to come out and get help for it. Um, and, and I'm grateful that I have you as a business partner that is willing to, that, you, that you're willing to talk about it. I think that's really important. I did not suffer from postpartum depression, but I have struggled with anxiety and OCD and various different bouts of depression throughout my lifetime. And so I can speak from a woman who has struggled with it for the long term, uh, but not exactly how it impacted me severely after my children were born. I think I've seen my anxiety impact my parenting in certain ways, for sure, as well as my OCD tendencies and whatnot. But it's nice to be able to have conversations with you and to learn more about it as we progress with this particular initiative. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, in my own journey with anxiety, so anxiety, I mean, I probably always had a degree of anxiety in being an anxious person, but it reared its ugly head in the postpartum period for sure. And, you know, I, I have shared publicly my experience with postpartum anxiety and some of the more severe moments that came about from it. And I will say that I am finally in a very good place 
I have had during the year of COVID, I was sick for a chunk of time and had to take a big step away from exercise. And I've recently gotten back to exercise, which has for me really helped control a lot of my anxious thoughts and therapy. Therapy is huge and I am back in therapy again and it's been so helpful. I have gotten my sleep figured out. We talked about sleep before and I, there was a point, you know, a year or so ago, I've talked about this a lot, but I was getting three or four hours of sleep at night and it's like the chicken and the egg, you know, was Mm -hmm. the sleep issue because of the anxiety or was the sleep perpetuating the anxiety? And it was both really. I mean, I, I was not sleeping and I don't truly know how I was functioning at, at a certain point because it had gone on for so long, but I realized how much caffeine affects me and I cut out caffeine. I know you're thinking, <laughs> what is this person that doesn't drink coffee? I do drink decaf, but I'm not like- because I only drink decaf. <laughs> <laughs> I, everyone else in the world is going to be like, what is wrong with these two women? But um, no, it makes me all jittery. And my husband's like, well, you had regular coffee. And I'm like, why? What do you think? Why? Why? What, why would you ever think that I had regular coffee? Let's talk about the world. Let's talk about life. I, if I even have like a Coke, a Coca-Cola after like noon, I, I will feel like bugs are crawling on me at night. My mind will race. I I mean, caffeine seriously affects me. My mom is the same way. So there's a genetic component to it for sure. But you know, I got my sleep figured out. I've been doing acupuncture recently, which I, prior to this experience with acupuncture was always like, Oh, that seems kind of voodoo-ish. I don't know. It has blown me away. I have seen such a huge transformation in, I, Cindy, we were on a meeting the other day and you had said something and I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, no big deal. I, I don't remember what, what it was about, but you're like, oh, well, that's a really good response. And I, <laughs> it, it, it dawned on me, I'm like, you're right. And that's not a normal response for me, but I'm feeling that way more and more. Not that I don't yeah. care about things, but I'm not as wound up tight (laughs) as I was for a long time. I'm just so much a little more go with the flow. I I told, I told the acupuncturist, I was like, make me type B. (laughs) (laughs) My gosh, that's hysterical. He said, that's not really possible, Chrissy, but (laughs) we can help with your anxiety. So um, that's, it's been really, and you know, for a lot of people, medication is essential. And I have a long history with medication. I was on antidepressants through much of high school and college, and I I just wasn't personally ready to go down that path again. I actually Mm -hmm. did try and I just, it didn't feel, I felt really sick from it. And I just, I knew that I wanted to kind of try other means, but that being said, and this is so, so important, medication is such a viable, important tool and resource if you are suffering from depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please seek out, you know, a professional that can help you. And it just know that it may take time to find the right oh, yeah. balance I'm for you. A huge supporter of medication. Yeah. I have been on medication for a very long time. And that was probably why I did not experience postpartum depression mm-hmm. or severe postpartum anxieties because I was very monitored by my psychiatrist throughout the pregnancy of my children. And through her recommendation, she had said that she felt it was best for me to stay on my medicine throughout my pregnancy because 
she said the health of the mother is extremely important in the health of the children. And that was a very difficult thing for me to work through, to be, have to stay on medication throughout my pregnancies and breastfeeding. And I understood the need for it. It just was hard. I had to go through quite a bit of soul searching and to be okay with having to do, having to do that. And then of course, I've also stayed on with therapy throughout my life too. So, well, and there, there's such a stigma uh, with medication and, you know, through pregnancy and breastfeeding, you have this idea of, you know, what it should be and how you should be taking care of your child. And through all of this, this past year, one of the things that I'm most excited that I did personally was I went through PSI, Postpartum Support International, and got certified in their perinatal mood disorder components of care. And that was a big piece of what we talked about, that in the vast majority of cases, mothers that are already on antidepressants or some type of medication really should, in many cases, continue that through the pregnancy I mean, obviously it's something that needs to be decided on a case-by-case basis and really depends on the situation. You need to work through that with your doctor. You know, we'll stand by that hundred percent, but in a lot of cases, it, it is far more important, you know, for the safety of the mother and, and everyone involved that, you know, that medication, that use of medication continues. Yes. And that you have the help of, of your doctors throughout all of it. Don't yeah. go and monitor your medication on your own, but make sure that you have a professional that's with with you every step of the way. Of course. Yeah, for sure. So initiative three, it was, this is, this is one that I think that has really touched both you and I personally, and is one of the reasons that we decided to put this in because we see how much it is impacting moms around us. It is diet culture and body appreciation. Diet culture has really become a term within the past several years that has just become more popular and defined. When I first started hearing it, I struggled with what it was. I think it was because I was so entrenched in it that I just couldn't, I didn't understand it at all. It's so hard to make sense of when you are fully entrenched in, you know, the diet culture and the fitness world, which we were both involved in. Mm -hmm. It is really hard to unpack everything that you know and have learned and look at it through a different lens. It's really, really hard shift to make. Absolutely. Absolutely. And my journey with diet culture really got very bad until it started to get a little bit better. My whole life, I've noticed that I've had body image issues, have been very entrenched in health and sports throughout my life. And when I got older, I got into the the fitness industry, just like you were saying, and started to become more and more knowledgeable of how food affects us and therefore started to cut more and more out of my diet until it was actually very disordered. I realized when I had my kids that, and this goes back to what I had said originally about our kids telling you exactly where you need personal growth, because had I not had my kids, it wouldn't have been as important to me to make changes in what I was doing. 
I was cutting out entire food groups all in the name of health. Uh, everything I thought that I was doing was to be quote unquote healthy. I think at my worst, I had cut out probably four major food groups out of my, out of my diet, major foods as well. And realized that it was, I wasn't eating the same as my family at night. So I put myself back in therapy to talk about orthorexia and to really get myself back in more of a healthy state of mind where I didn't demonize certain food groups. And this really all started an adventure for me where I started learning more about diet culture, how it affects us, how it affects the fitness industry and the wellness industry, and started to listen to a lot more podcasts and realized that it was something that we have to start fighting back against because it's affecting people in a very severe way. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting. You kind of went at it from a food angle and I had all the same things, but went at it from an exercise angle. And, you know, I know for me, my body image issues began in eighth grade pretty strongly. And it's so funny when I look back through every phase of life, I never liked my body. I always beat myself up about my stomach in particular, you know, it's very, very critical. I think most women are, but you know, every time I like look at a picture, it's like, oh, wow. I, you know, and, and there's always that, like, why didn't I just enjoy in the moment? And there was this beautiful quote that I read recently and I don't remember it exactly, but it was about a 75 year old woman who at that point was just like, I don't flip and care about my body, <laughs> you know? And I really wish that I had enjoyed it at every previous stage of life when it was just this, you know, this uh, Noah says all the time, he's like, your body is never going to be as young as it is right now. Enjoy it. <laughs> and, and there's, there's truth to that, you know, and for me, it started in college, my, I'll, I'll say addiction to exercise. I would even in college, go for two workouts a day, sometimes 90 minutes a piece. I remember for a while doing the slim fast shakes for breakfast and lunch in between two 90 minute workouts. That was about the extent of my food because I love food. I love pizza. Mm. I love brownies. I like, I struggled. I like, I don't want to give those up and I won't give those up, but I, I found, okay, I'll exercise. And then as I got older, and became a fitness instructor, you know, I did a boot camp and I would run to boot camp, do the boot camp, run home, do a yoga class later. And then I was teaching two or three classes. I mean, I had my Fitbit to track and like my steps every day were just astronomical. And I felt so good about it. This is something I'm talking about in therapy now about how disordered my relationship was with exercise, how it just, it fueled everything I did. And it was all about the calories burned. I was addicted to that number and just kind of tracking that and watching that. And I ate everything and anything I wanted, <laughs> but I, I was very addicted to the, the exercise piece of it. And, you know, when I got sick during COVID, there was months, I think it was close to seven or eight months where the most I could do was walk in my, my, I took a walk in my neighborhood and there was even times where I was bent over and kind of out of breath during my walk. I did actually get to a point where I was taking multiple walks a day. I don't feel that it was the same 
disordered relationship though. It was really just, it was during quarantine and I need to get out of my house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But at this point in talking with my therapist, I feel like I am in a much better place. I have returned to exercise because it helps me with my anxiety, but I very much listen to my body. I'm only doing one exercise a day. I might take a walk with my family later sometimes, but Mm -hmm. there's, there's one workout a day. Sometimes it's a boot camp because that is what helps me with my anxiety the most. But if I wake up and I'm not feeling that, which does happen probably like once a week, I might do yoga or I might do bar or I might go for a run or maybe a walk even like I just, it's really become about listening to my body. So really it's the intuitive movement piece that I feel I have embraced this past year, really, I think. And it has helped heal me. That being said, I also recognize that I am at my heaviest weight and I know that we're not supposed to talk about weight, but I am full transparency. I am struggling with that. You know, I I recognize that I'm probably in my healthiest place with my relationship to exercise and, and things like that. But at the same time, you know, it's hard when I look in the mirror and some days I feel myself sometimes like, damn girl, you look good. (laughs) And then there's other days where I am just the meanest person in the world to the the woman I see looking back in the mirror. And, um, I try to remember, you know, what Noah always says, you're never getting this day back. You're never going to be this young again. Like love who you are right now and just enjoy life. And I'm trying to do that, but it's such a hard shift. It's such a hard flip. Mm, Absolutely. It's when it starts interrupting your joy that it's, it starts taking over your life. And I know for me in particular, it was about punishment and reward. So if I would eat something, then I would say, oh, well, I can go work out. And it's, it was all this mental state for me, this mental talking, like you had said. And it's a journey. It really is. And we're working through that, but we have really wonderful experts on our panel that support the fight against diet culture and the idea that diet culture says that one body size is ideal, which is untrue, that a woman can be deemed beautiful and confident in a larger body. So I'm really, really glad that we have these experts on our side. Yeah. And I agree with you. It is something that we will have to work on possibly daily. You know, Anna Lutz, who's one of our beloved experts and fully, fully immersed in diet culture. She's a health at every size nutritionist. And, you know, I I remember asking her this once, like, do you ever have body image issues or like, are you healed? Is there like hope for healing? Um, and you know, she, she said, of course, you know, there are still moments where I I feel that self-criticism. And I think that's so important to know, you know, Mm -hmm. like this isn't something that you're working towards this, like, end. we see so many things on social media where it's like this way or that way, but like, I'm fully arrived, I guess Mm -hmm. is what I'm looking for. And, and in most things, that's not really possible. It's a, a daily work that you have to do. And and I think it's important to know that. Yeah. For this particular initiative, we wanted to make sure for each of these initiatives that we were talking about our growth throughout the year and what we've learned 
and also where we are with it. So I think you and I both have shared where we are in terms of our recovery with the effects that diet culture has had on us. But I also want to make sure that I state I am currently struggling with how to teach my children Hmm. how to avoid diet culture and how to implement this with them while I'm still trying to heal myself. And this was a huge, a huge thing that I've been recently talking to my therapist about and how to do that. So we can keep you posted. I'll post it on that and continue that discussion. But we do have one more left to go through. And what's our last one? Managing the expectations of motherhood. Good grief. Isn't there a motherload of them? (laughs) Oh my gosh. This could be an episode in and of itself as well. Gosh. So I loved our conversations about this. We had a beautiful in-person event at the Flourish Market who sponsored our most recent podcast episode. Go check them out if you haven't. Nicole Wallace, one of our licensed therapists came and talked about managing expectations. We had a beautiful round table on it. And the conversation around it was wonderful. I I think most moms are probably familiar with this topic, but we talked a lot about the goddess myth and this idea that mothers are put on this certain pedestal that you are supposed to have it all together and have it all figured out and not to really need help, that you can manage everything on your own, that your body is supposed to be like that of a goddess and bounce right back after having baby, that, you know, um, whether you're working or you're staying at home, that you can balance it all. And, you know, it's BS. Mm, (laughs) It's not possible. It, It is just to really stop and assess what society says you are supposed to do as a mother and to look at other cultures and historically what mothers have been asked to do and the help, really it's about the help that they've received in in doing all of that. There is something seriously lacking in our society. There there are Mm -hmm. some serious supports and systems that are are missing for, for mothers. Well, when it gets to something that's external, rigid, black or white rules, that's when red flags have to go up because black or white and very rigid, those are ingredients for bad things. <laughs> that's like the best thing that I could come up with. And there's a whole lot of gray in there. And I find myself falling into these black or whites all the time. And then of course, my therapist has to remind me, well, there is a bunch of gray in there. What could be what could be some of the gray? And so then we have to talk about some of the gray. And the other piece of it is not everything fits for every family. Every family is different. So what might work for me and my kids might be different than what works for you and in your family. Exactly. And we just have to respect that and, and stop trying to push these ideas on other people. You know, I I think the biggest takeaway in all of this is that there is no one right way to parent. There, there's no manual out there. There's no proof out there that this is the one way to do it. You know, there are differences in cultural aspects of parenting. There are differences in, you know, socioeconomic status you know, of, with parenting, which town you live in. I mean, it doesn't even have to be like which country it could be as much as what town and how that impacts you know, certain parenting decisions that a family might make. And 
we as a society need to move away from this, as you said, black or white thinking about parenting. And again, going back to that idea of, especially on social media, but a person who based on their own experience, they've done something and it worked beautifully for their child and and the relationship and, you know, in their parenting and it's the end all be all and they will share it, which is wonderful. It's great to hear stories and, and, you know, anecdotal evidence. However, at a certain point, you have to recognize that that is your own experience and it's not going to apply to everyone and certain decisions are going to make sense for certain families and not for others. And that's okay. Your child is still going to flourish, you know, as long as you are a parent that cares and is there and is providing for them as best you can, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Society has put unrealistic and unachievable ideals and expectations on moms. And it's very important for us as individual parents and individual families to evaluate and become very clear on what our family values are, what our personal values are. My values may be different than your values. You may put something higher on your list than I might, and that is okay, just as you were just saying. And recognizing when you're doing something to try to fit into these unrealistic and unachievable goals, and when that's going against your value system, it's time to reevaluate and stick to what works for you, for sure. Absolutely. I know for me, you know, raising my daughter, I put so much pressure on myself and I I look at all the other things that all the other moms are doing and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Such a good mom. I have to incorporate that in some way and trying to find ways to do that. And I need to remind myself that my child is so happy and so loved. And that's what's important. And it's not hitting all the tick marks of what I see on social media or what I hear and read in a certain book or hear from a certain expert. Yes, take that information in and, you know, apply it where you can, but don't have to do a little tick mark in every checkbox. Absolutely. It, It can be a catalyst. It can be thought provoking to you to try to seek it out, but make it fit for you, make it fit for what works best for you. I remember um, during COVID and our girls go to a specific school and just during the whole time of COVID and virtual learning, there was so much fluctuation with the kids that were going in and out of school. A lot of kids were leaving the school. And I remember looking at my husband and just being like, where are they going? Like, I just don't understand. And I felt what it did inside of me. It made me second guess myself. Are we in the right place? Do we need to do something different? And I know you've mentioned this with like the milestone charts that they're a trigger for you, but this was very triggering to me. And, you know, when people make changes around me, then I'm like, should I be making changes too? And that's when I have to stop and I have to evaluate our life and in this particular situation with the influx in the, the, the flow of kids going in and out of the school, I said, are our kids happy? Yes, they're flourishing. They're doing great. Then I don't need to make any changes right now. And that's just where I left it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So that has been a very good initiative, you know, in all honesty, 
I don't think us talking about it or our experts talking about it. I don't think anybody really says anything that you don't already know to some degree or haven't heard before. It's not, you know, earth shattering in that sense, but I think it's really good to have those reminders because again, back to that idea of you can get sucked down into the whirlwind of life yeah. and kind of forget, you know, like you, you get sucked into comparison, you get sucked into a um, shit show. <laughs> yeah. Needing, needing to, again, get that tick mark in, in all the check boxes. Yep. So yeah, for sure. It's good to have those reminders. And then I guess just to wrap us up, I just want to say, Cindy, I appreciate you and I love you. And I've just enjoyed this last year. This podcast has been a journey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yes. so much fun. I love you too. This is such a wonderful thing we've put together and I can't imagine doing work with anyone other than you. It brings tears to my eyes every single time. I think I might cry now, but this year has been amazing coming out of 2020. We weren't sure what to expect moving into 2021. It's been lovely. And starting this podcast has definitely been an adventure, but one, I think we're both benefiting from, we've learned a lot and we're so glad to be able to reach so many moms. Yeah. And have made some amazing connections along the way. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts to everybody for listening this first season. We are busy planning season two and have got some good things in store for you. We'll see you soon. High five friends. We had so much fun with you. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a review. We love hearing what you have to say. Until next time, stay true to you.